themes. Walking through that book, we'll be there the rest of the year. Uh, just taking it verse by verse and just kind of <clears throat> walking through uh, what James uh, has for us. You have to understand that when this book is written, the church is really, at this point, <clears throat> we're only about uh, 20, 30 years uh, within the death, resurrection, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So people have started to become Christians and put their faith and trust in Christ, and they've got a lot of questions about what this thing looks like. Um, there's a tremendous amount of controversy with these people who um, are actually not called Christians yet. They're going to be called Christians at Antioch. Uh, but at this point, they're known as people of the way because they were following the teachings of Jesus, and Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So in a multi-faceted, uh, a multi God kind of world in which at the Roman world, Rome's kind of the main power and control at this time, they were polytheistic. They believed that they they had a God for everything. So when all of a sudden this group of people called people of the way started saying there's only one way to God, well, that's a big problem. Uh, And then as this movement starts to grow, Rome starts to see it as a threat. So what you're going to see, and what you see in history, is this idea that the book of James is written, and uh, three rulers who are pretty prominent during this time, Caligula is one. He was probably in charge about the time this book is written. Then there's a guy by the name of Claudius. And then the guy that you're probably most familiar with is a guy by the name of Nero. Um, Nero really started persecution against Christians. Uh, he really took it to a whole nother level. Now, it was going to get far worse once we get past Nero. By the time we get to guys like Trajan and some of these other guys, it's, it's horrendous. Um, but Nero uh, decides, and his, his persecution of Christians was primarily in the area of Rome. Uh, Nero uh, basically decides that Killing Christians should be entertaining. So he finds some incredible creative ways to do it. Um, One of the things that he is known for is that he would have parties in the evening. And he would take Christians and tie them to posts and cover them in pitch or tar and light them on fire. And so as you could walk through his gardens at night, that's how you provided light. And you see, that, that sounds incredible. You need to understand, it's going to get much worse than that past Nero. Okay? And the reason is because these people called themselves followers of Jesus. And ultimately, in the Roman, Roman world, what happens is the emperors see themselves as, as deity. And they see themselves as God. And so they start to realize that... <clears throat> This group of people, these people of the way, they believe in one God. So they refuse to worship the emperor. They refuse to look at the emperor and see him as God. Well, that's treason. That's punishable by death. So one of the things that you see in the book of James... You see this in other New Testament books, too, 
um, like Peter and, and some of the others. But in the book of James, one of the things that James is doing is he's trying to get Christians to be prepared for what's coming. And in the, in the writing of the book of James, you have to understand that most of the people who are reading this book, who are reading this, this epistle is being passed around to groups of, of Christians. Within the next 15, maybe 20 years, may be some of the very people that are on a post in Nero's garden. So James has to take this group of people who are fairly young believers and get them to mature to the point that they're able to handle that kind of circumstance. So as we've started into the book, James starts off talking about trials and testings. Now in our world, when we think of trials and testings, it's like, oh, I'm going through a difficult time at work because my boss doesn't like me. Or I'm going through a tough time because our finances are tight. It's a, it's a time of testing for us. We're talking about people here who are going to, in some cases, die because they want to be called a Christian. And James has to prepare them for that. So as we talk, you need to understand that James is trying in this book to get these people to that level of maturity. So that's the, that's the emphasis behind what he's writing here. And we talked about it up to this point about, you know, he talked about this idea of, first of all, he saw himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. His life was God's. God could do anything he wanted with it. We talked about um, this idea of, as, as trials and, and testings and things come, you have to have the idea that, you need to be joyful because God's at work. God wants to do something in your life. So we're going to dive into it this morning, and basically I'm going to break it down to this morning and then next week, and we're going to talk about why problems tend to overwhelm us. Um, and this week, basically we're going to look at the idea of one of the reasons is because we lack wisdom, and that's what we're going to talk about this week. And then next week we're going to talk about the idea of because we lack faith. So with that in mind, I'm going to jump to the whole passage, and then we'll break it down section by section. Here's what he says. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded. He's unstable in all they do. So let's go to that first section. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. Um, first of all, here's what, again, James, <clears throat> this is a book of action, Okay. In this book, there are 54 imperatives. An imperative in the Greek language is a command. Um, when you go out, you pull out to the road right here, there's a red sign, stop. It's not a suggestion. It's not a, hey, if you feel like it, it is a stop. If you roll through it and there's a police officer at the corner, you're going to see little lights in your rearview mirror, and he's going to go, you know, that was, and you go, well, it was a rolling stop. And uh, trust me, 
It doesn't work. I've used an excuse before. It doesn't fly. All right? It doesn't count. Why? Because the sign is an imperative. Stop. In the book of James, there's 108 verses. There are 54, at the the minimum, depending on how you count them, there's a minimum of 54 imperatives. What that means is that for every two verses you read in the book of James, one of them is a command. So James is a book of actions. Like, this is what you need to do. 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 54 times in 108 verses. So as we look at it, one of the things that he says is, he, he gets right to the point. And, and again, if, if this was in English, it's kind of insulting. Um, because he assumes that everybody's stupid. And he goes, you know what you need? You need wisdom. That's what you need. You're going through a tough time. You're going through a trial. You're going through a testing right now. The one thing that you need is wisdom. Now, we think of wisdom as knowledge. Uh, but when you look at wisdom in the Scripture, you see things as Solomon saying, for instance, wisdom is the principal thing. Get wisdom. Um, wisdom is far more than just knowledge. Um, wisdom has this idea of trying to see something from God's point of view, not yours. Trying to see something beyond what the normal person sees. And you know, if you've been around a person who's wise, and you get, you know, I have people in my life who are mentors who I seek wisdom from. And the thing is, when I present them with something, they, they see things that I can't see, or they see it in a way that's different. That's what we're talking about. And James says, look, <clears throat> you need wisdom from God. And here's what you need to understand. In order to get it, you've got to ask for it. Now, you also need to understand this. God gives generously when it comes to wisdom. God is more than happy to give wisdom to anybody who wants it. That's what he says. In fact, when you dig into this a little bit in the original languages, it's fascinating because it literally has this idea that God is single-minded in the sense that he gives wisdom to anyone who wants it. That's kind of his mindset. You want it? I'll give it to you. Uh, you want to you, you ask for it? I'll hand it out. But, there's a big but tied to it. And he talks about this idea of you need to understand God will give it as a gift. He will give it freely. But listen to what he says. But when you ask, <clears throat> you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. He said, now there's a stipulation on this when you ask. You're going to have to ask believing. And you're going to have to ask not doubting that God's going to do it. Um, you know Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. He'll direct your path. James here says, you have to believe and not doubt. Now, when we think about this, we kind of get a little confused here because we're saying, well, what exactly does that mean? Here's what James is saying. There can't be in your mind the question of whether or not you're going to follow God. 
In other words, what James is saying is, God will show you a perspective here. God will give you some insight here to whatever your testing or trial is. But He's not going to give it to somebody who wants to know it so they can make a decision. In other words, when, when people come into, often in, in a pastor, and people come and say, Pastor, I want to talk to you about this, and I'm struggling with this, and, da, 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 and what do you think I should do? Now, 99% of the time, you want to know, what the, you want to know how it goes? They want to hear my perspective. But they want to then go out and decide what to do. In other words, they want insight, but they're going to make a choice after they hear the insight. What James is saying is, when you want, to, when, when you want wisdom from God, you've got to be all in to say, whatever you want me to do, God, that's what I'll do. Whatever insight you give me, God, that's what I'm going to follow. If you're not willing to do that, he said, you're like, you're like you know, those of you who've been around an ocean. That's it. Just in, out, in, out, in, out. You watch the waves come in, you watch the waves go out. You build a little sandcastle, waves come in and wipe it all out and go back out. He said, that's your world. You're like that. You're like, okay, God, I want to know, but now I don't want to follow. Now I want to know, and I don't want to follow. He says, no, no, no. There can't be any doubt. There can't be any belief here, any unbelief that you're wanting to bargain with God or figure something out with God or just get God's perspective so you can make a decision. You see, these people who may end up in Nero's garden or may end up in the Colosseum being killed by animals or whoever else or gladiators or whatever else for sport. They can't be wavering on whether or not they're on God's side or not. He said, you need a maturity that says, God, give me wisdom to see your perspective in this stuff, and I'm going to follow you no matter what. And then he takes it on even a step further, and here's what he says. That person who's doubting, who doesn't believe, should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded. They're unstable. Because you see, they haven't made up their mind yet whether they're going to follow God or not. And James said, the one thing you need in your trials, in your testings, and the stuff that you're going through in life, the one thing you need is wisdom. You need to be able to see that from God's perspective. And if you're going to doubt, or if you're going to not believe and not follow God, you're, you're like the waves in and out, in and out. You're, you're, you're a double-minded man. I love Pilgrim, if you ever read John Bill, uh, Bunyan's Pilgrim Progress. He talks about this character. He, he talks about him as the two-faced man. You're two-faced. You got, you got, you got one, one thing focused on God and the other thing focused on what you want. James said, if you're going to grow as a Christian, you can't do that. You have to be able to say, God, I want your wisdom. I want to follow you. I want to see this in a way that I can honor you. Um. There can't be any doubting with it. There can't be any um, wavering. There has to be a total confidence in, I'm in this to honor God no matter what. 
um, as, as we go through it, um, a couple things just kind of tie a little bit together before we get into practical thing. Um, maturity comes from wisdom. Maturity comes from trying to be able to see God's perspective on some of this thing. Um, it, it literally is, and I don't have time to dig into this. That's why I kind of miss Wednesday nights, because on Wednesday nights we could dig into some of this stuff. But um, one of the things you see in this book is you see this contrast between a single mind and a double mind. And one of the things that James tries to do in this book is to get people to be single-minded, focused on honoring God in everything. Um, in fact, at the end of the book, he's going to talk about submit to God, resist the devil, um, not being double-minded. He's going, to, he's going to, actually, there's like parentheses on this book. It's so important, if we're going to grow, that we get this single-minded idea down that we really seek wisdom from God. So let me get into the practical things now and, and talk about you this week, talk about me this week. Um, two big takeaways, I think, from, from this passage. The first one is this idea here um, that we've got to get to the point that we ask for wisdom. Um, I was very, very fortunate in that... <clears throat> The, the pastor who I got to serve under for almost five years. Uh, what happens is when, you're, when you work for somebody like that, uh, work with somebody like that, you, you subtly pick up things that you don't realize you're picking up until later. Because he was constantly modeling things for me that I never realized at the time were so valuable. But now... I realized the impact they made on my life, and I realized the value of it. Um, the guy that I sat under was a, um, he was a incredible student of the Scriptures. Um, he had taught at a college level. He had a doctorate, blah, blah, blah. You know, all, 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 the, all the important things as far as paperwork goes. Uh, but in our meetings and stuff like that, we met every week, and, and, and we would pray. And uh, we'd have prayer time for ministry and things that were going on and all that. And uh, one of the things that he always used to pray is, um, God, make me, make me wiser than I know how to be. And I never really caught the value of that. Um, but he used to pray. He said, God, don't let us get in front of you. Don't let us get behind you. Help us to walk side by side with what you want for us here. And for those of you who've been around me any length of time and you've been in meetings where we pray, often you will hear me pray that very prayer. God, don't let us as a ministry get in front of you. Don't let us get behind you. Help us to walk side by side with what you want for us here. God, give us wisdom. I'm not asking for wisdom so I can choose. I'm asking for wisdom because I want to see God's perspective on this thing. I want God to guide me so that I'm seeing it from the way He wants me to see it, not the way that I want to see it. And often I've been in situations where um, that is so important. Now, those of you who know my story... Um, 
And I don't, I, don't, I don't want to keep rehashing it. I don't want to get into it too much. But there was a point in my life where I was really struggling on what God wanted me to do. I mean, I, it, this was a gut-wrenching thing for me. I was too involved personally to make a decision to see it with clarity. I had a, a godly man who was able to step in from the outside. And he was going to be at the ministry for a whole week. And so I sat down with him on the first day and I said, here's the situation. I need wisdom. I need understanding. I need to know what the best answer is here. And I'm not suggesting this. I'm just telling you this was my story. This is what I did. I told him, I said, I'm going to put absolute confidence in you. Here's who you can talk to. Here's what's going on. Here's my perspective. I'm going to give you five days to talk to anybody you want to talk to. Five days to pray about it. At the end of five days, he was, he was an evangelist. He was in a camper. I said, I'm going to come to your camper. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to ask you one question. What do you think I ought to do? And I said, whatever you tell me, whether I like it or not, I want you to know that's what I'm going to do. I said, there's no question about this. I said, we're not going to debate it. You don't have to explain to me why you decided that. I just want to know what I should do. That's the attitude we're talking about. Where we come to God and say, God, look, I don't know what to do in this situation, but God, whatever you reveal to me, that's what I'm going to do. And he came to me, and I'll tell you what, he gave me an answer that I didn't like. But I trusted his experience. I trusted his wisdom. So I went out and did exactly what he told me to do. One of the reasons that I found this place is because I followed his counsel. Because I realized he had wisdom and he had insight that I didn't have at the time. What James is saying to this group of young Christians, what he would say to us today, is the one thing you need in life is wisdom to see things from God's perspective. Kids, listen to me. Those of you that are in high school, junior high, heading into college, whatever else, you really need to sit down and wrestle with this idea of do you want wisdom or do you want your way? You see, it is so important that you sit down and say, okay, God, I will follow you. I need direction here. And whatever you encourage me to do, that's what I'm going to do. Total belief that I'm going to follow God. No doubt that I will follow God. I am confident in this. That's what James is saying. That's how we have to live our lives. And one of the things that I would say is some of the things you're struggling with right now, you want wisdom? Or you want your way? See, James looks at these people and says, look, the one thing you need, whether you realize it or not, the one thing you need is wisdom. You need to be able to see this from God's perspective. You need to be able to see God, what God wants to do in this situation, not how you, you can get out of the situation. And so James says, when you have those tough times, when you have those struggles, when you're trying to figure it out, the one thing you need from God is wisdom. But listen to me, if you're going to go to God bargaining, it ain't going to work. And God knows your heart better than you know your heart. You say, well, God's not answering my prayer. God's not. Maybe it's because God already knows you just want to bargain with Him. You know, it's kind of like I had a situation where I was buying something this week. I was happy with the price. My wife, on the other hand, was not. And she said, offer them this. 
And I was like, you know me, I don't like to do that. I mean, I, it was a fair price. I'm willing to buy it for that. She's like, nope, offering that. So like a good husband, I listened to my wife. <laughs> and I, t- I messaged this guy and I said, hey, here's the deal. But I also threw her under the bus. Okay, so I have no problem doing that. Um, so I messaged the guy back and I said, look, here's the deal. Really like it. I'm, I, um, we're happy for it. I said, but my wife is not happy with the price. And my wife is only comfortable at this price. I, yeah, I'm chicken. I'll throw one under the bus. I got no problem doing that. Because you know what? If she wants, to, if she, that's important to her, then okay, fine. So I threw her under the bus. I said, I'm only happy at this price. And, and up until now, every time I had messaged this guy, within 10 minutes, I heard something back. I didn't hear nothing back. <laughs> it was the first thing in the morning, 8 o'clock in the morning. I went all day. About 3 o'clock, I get a message from him. It went something like this. After a lot of negotiation with my wife, (laughs) we agree that we will take your price. Now, I just asked him what his lowest number was and gave him the number my wife was comfortable with, and he came in with my wife's number, okay? Now, then that creates a whole other scenario. Because now when she comes home, I have to tell her she was right. (laughs) And it was that negotiating. And I don't like negotiating, but some of you, that's what you want to do with God. God, look, I want to know what you want me to do in this situation. And God shows you what to do, and then you want to negotiate with him. God doesn't do that. And and that's what James says. If that's the game you want to play with God, he's not going to give you wisdom. And James says, you need wisdom. You need to see it from God's perspective. Because again, think of where this thing is headed for some of these people. And that's the thing that I would say. I think so often we, we play this game with God on God. I want to know what I should do. And God shows us what to do. And then we want to argue with him about it. James said, God doesn't work like that. You need to understand that. The second idea here that I think is important for us is I think we kid ourselves. And James is going to talk about this when we get to chapter 2. But are you seeking God or are you seeking an outcome? Let me say it again. Are you seeking God or are you seeking an outcome? You see, so many times when we're going through a tough time, we want a certain outcome. And we're asking God for a certain outcome. The whole purpose of testing and trials and difficulty is not to get you out of it for an outcome. The whole purpose is to draw you closer to God. That's why God's the focus here. And so often I think what happens in our lives is, so we're going through a tough time and we're going, okay, God, I need you to take this away. This is so hard. And we're going through this and we're just having this financial struggle. And God, honestly, if you if you like... Help me win the lottery. We'll be okay. And I know I'll serve you and I'll give you more money and I'll do all. We try all this negotiate. It's about an outcome. Okay, God, you know, the doctor has said this, so I'm now praying that, God, you, you heal me and you do it this way and you do this and you do it. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is it about an outcome or is it about God using 
it to honor and glorify Him and to draw you close to Him. Because that's maturity. And James lays us out to say, you need, and we're going to get into this when we talk about faith next week, because this is where we get all messed up. And we see faith as this outcome-based idea. That, okay, God, you know what? I have faith that you're going to do this. Whoa! Be careful there. Is your faith in God, or is your faith in the outcome that God's got to provide for you now? And when James talks about this idea of, of wisdom, one of the things he says is the whole idea of wisdom is the idea that it's going to draw me closer to God because I'm going to start to see things the way God wants me to see things. I'm going to start to see that, you know what, maybe this financial struggle is going to teach me to put less focus on my things and more focus on my relationship with my God. Maybe this physical thing that I'm going through right now is going to help me to focus on the idea that in my pain and in my struggle and in my hardship, I'm going to depend more on God to get me through the day and less on, and I'm not against this, I take medication, but less on my medication. Less on the doctor fixing me and saying, okay, God, you've got to give me the strength because, you know, the medication's not working or whatever else. In other words, is that struggle drawing me closer to God? Because that's the purpose here. That's the, the thing that James is talking about in, wit, in, um, in, in, uh, in the relationship. And I think so often we miss that. See, what James is laying out is one of the reasons we go through tough times, one of the reasons, it draws us closer to God. Right or wrong. Are you closer with your spouse during times of plenty or in times of struggle? Are you closer to are you closer to God in times of prosperity or in times of uh, being poor? One of the worst things that's ever happened to our country. We've been blessed by God. Because in the process of that, we've started looking at it as we're blessed and we've forgotten all about God. So we have a country now that is literally thinks it's self-sufficient without God. Study the history of the children of Israel. In times... When they come into the promised land, in times of plenty, spiritually they go down. In times of persecution, they grow closer to God. Study it in the life of the church worldwide. Some of the strongest churches are in places in this world where it's illegal to get together as a Christian and gather for worship. They will put our Christianity to shame. Why? Because God has used the struggle and the tough time to draw them close to him. And all of the frivolous stuff got pushed aside. I think I can be wrong. I think our country is headed for a very difficult time. 
I think it could be the greatest opportunity we have as Christians in a long time. Would I like to see us not go through it? Part of me says yes. But the pastor part of me says no. I think we need it to get back to what's important. I think the whole pandemic thing should have been a wake-up. But I'm afraid we missed the boat. And my personal belief is that God's going to take us through some pretty deep water. And honestly, the good that I think will come out of it, we'll find out who's double-minded and who's not. We'll find out who's serious about God and who's not. Because that's what you see historically. That's what you see biblically. And one of the things that James says here is that trials and difficulties and hardships should drive you to a relationship with God. You've got to have his wisdom. You've got to be able to say, God, how can I honor you in this situation? And Lord, I'm going to follow you no matter what. It's my prayer that we are mature enough to be able to handle whatever's coming. James starts this book by laying that foundation for Christians. And he says, look, I want you to understand, you need wisdom from God. And God will give it to you, generously, as long as you're not wanting to bargain with him. And if you're bargaining with him, you need to understand this, you're double-minded. You're like the waves. And he said, that's not how you're going to be able to handle trials and tribulations and struggles and hardships. So lay out that foundation now. So I end with this. James encourages everyone to seek wisdom from God. His focus is not praying for an outcome, but developing a deep relationship with God. Our focus in trials must be seeing them from God's perspective and not ours. Maturity comes when our trials draw us closer to God and they deepen our fellowship with him. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, we all have a propensity to want to make pain and difficulty and hardship go away as quickly as possible. Lord, often when we go through tough times, we just want them to be over. Lord, I pray that you would help each of us to understand the value of those situations drawing us closer to you. Through all of it, Lord, may we be able to see you at work, to see your hand in every aspect of it. That, Lord, as people look at us, they see a mature, solid faith in you. Not necessarily, Lord, in a certain outcome or a certain um, solution. So, Lord, use us, encourage us, draw us close to you this week. In whatever means necessary, these things we ask in your name. Amen.